An Irish independent digital subscription doesn't just get you the news. It gets you the best of Ireland's stories all in one place. Whether it's the best of politics, business, sport, entertainment or lifestyle. Get it all for just €4 Euro a month for 12 months when you first subscribe. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply. Cancel any time. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep Keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Hello and welcome to the Throw In Independent.ie's GAA podcast. I'm Will Slattery and we have another great show lined up for you today. A little later on, I'm going to be joining the line by James O'Connor to go back over Galway versus Clare in the All-Ireland Hurling semi-final replay. But first, I'm delighted to be joined by Irish Independent GA correspondent Martin Bretney, Roy Curtis of the Sunday World and Kerry legend Tomas O'Shea to discuss the end of the Super 8s. So Martin, the inaugural Super 8s comes to an end. We have the semi-final matchups, Dublin versus Galway, Tyrone versus Monaghan. The story of probably the weekend, and if not the whole Super 8s, was Monaghan getting that great win in Salt Hill. Galway were obviously already qualified, but the, the prize of avoiding Dublin was probably still pretty significant, yet Monaghan really outplayed them. Were you surprised with just how, I guess, big the scoreline was in the end? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect it to be eight points, but I, I think maybe what happened was that once Scarborough realised that it was beginning to slip away from them, that uh, they weren't going to expend a huge amount of energy in, in perhaps chasing it. Maybe there was no point in, in it either, and that you end up losing by two points and you've, uh, you're flat to the boards. I, I, it's very hard to say, but I suppose the fact that they were in the, they were in the, um, in the, in the semi-final already and uh, maybe they weren't as quite as tuned up as as they would be otherwise. But uh, at the same time, it's not what you want necessarily going in against Dublin. Or it's not uh, losing by eight points. But Monaghan, not just a story. I think of 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 the the Super Eight. I think they've been the story of the last five or six years and what they've been achieving with of a population that they have of what uh, sixty four thousand people, what the fifth smallest in the country or whatever it is. I think it's the fifth smallest. It's some it's some achievement. It's almost taken for granted now. People forget they were in Division Four maybe what ten years ago or whatever and. Uh, it just shows the remarkable progress they've made and, and stayed there, not just come into Division 1, stayed there and uh, two Munster titles, or two Ulster titles even, and uh, well, final, quarter-finals f- four times and now in the semi-final. So a fantastic achievement by uh, by the team and Malachi O'Rourke. Yeah, Roy, when we compare, like, you know, I know maybe population isn't the best way of doing it, but compare, like, Monaghan's population to Dublin's, for instance, they're competing at the business end of the same championship, yet the disparity there is ridiculous. Yeah, as Martin said, 26th in, in population, and, I mean, the only time they made a final was 1930. I think Malachi O'Rourke is one of the overachievers in management. He showed that with Fermanagh, and he, you can see why players play for him. You can see why he gets people together. I mean, I, I was taken by his interview immediately afterwards where he referenced how the Monaghan public got behind him immediately, when they were beaten by Fermanagh, he said it was an opportunity for people to turn their backs on them. They went down to Waterford for a qualifier and they were flabbergasted when they came out at the level of support they had there. And myself and Martin were talking beforehand. I mean, they had huge support in Salt Hill. They actually outnumbered the Galway people. And there's a sense that there's momentum with them, that this is their chance to do something. The fact that it's an Ulster semi-final against the team they've beaten already, they certainly won't be in any way intimidated. They are also the only team to beat Dublin this year. They came to Crow Park 
and won. I know that was an understrength Dublin team, but the likes of Fenton, McCarthy and Rock were still playing. And we've seen what an understrength Dublin team did to Roscommon at the weekend. Mm. We're joined the line by Tomas O'Shea as well. And Tomas, we'll get, I guess, to, to Kerry's weekend in a minute. But just a, a word on that Monaghan-Galway game. Very impressive for Monaghan, but how damaging a defeat is it for Galway? I know they had qualified already, but is there a danger that all their momentum has, has been lost now as they enter into such a tough match against Dublin? Um, look, I suppose that's arguable. I, I actually genuinely think that you're better off going through winning, you know, and it's a young Galway side, a lot of young lads in there. Um, how would it affect them going in next week against Dublin? Um, you know, there'd be a lot of people saying what's going on inside there in terms of uh, do they want to lose? Do they give up on it? Um, I can't think in, in terms of a week, if it was two weeks even, a week away from the semi-final and you, you lose. But I thought they lost badly. I think in that first half, and I watched it again this morning, I, I think watching closely in that first half, geez, they weren't at the pace of the game at all at all. And I think they were actually trying to be at the pace of the game. I think that they didn't go out there to lose that game, obviously. But that Monaghan just made a, an absolute laugh out of the, their defence in the first half. Every, anytime they went up to the field, they, they had a chance of a, of a score. They kicked most of them. Um, you know, and I think they'll gobble up the other side when they went down. I think you have to give Monaghan great credit. I, I mean, um, one of the things that I might have asked of them after the Kerry game was an over reliance on Biggie, maybe, and and um, Carlo Connell and Conor McManus. But you know, I think Monaghan, we were always saying they're a small group of players and that they all had that there was this one core group of players where you had the Wileys, the Desi Moan, Corey, the Hughes brothers. But geez, they're after adding another dimension to it, like you know, the Dermot Malone's, the McInnesby's, Fintan Kelly, Carlo Connell, Kieran Duffy in the full back line has impressed me, and Began obviously in goal. So they all still have that core group, but they have another core group that are just as dominant and just as influential inside in games. It's their work rate that jumps out at me, their attitude. You know, even if it's not happening, and it didn't happen for a lot of those players from play against Kerry, yet their work rate made sure that they were on top in all sectors against Kerry, except on the scoreboard. And then the perfect storm down in Galway, where the same thing happened, yet you had all these eight different scorers down in Galway. Look, so I'm not sure. I, 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 I think Galway couldn't be in a great place. No, it, it's all, I, I presume that would have been dealt with on the night and Kevin Welch would have got them in, settled them down and said, right, we were tired, blah, blah, he has to get their heads right going into a, um, an All-Ireland semi-final against Dublin. But I said before the match, I think Galway would have been better served winning that game and going in with a, a, a positive frame of mind into semi-final, whoever they were playing. I just think that certain people, and it mightn't affect seven or eight or nine of them, but it might be four or five that be affected by it and might have had poor performances and might be listening to these whispers throughout the week and won't. Like, I think Kevin Walsh has a job in his hands this week trying to get those fellas focused in and get them to, to the pitch that they were playing at because um, I think a lot of things will have to go right for them to come out on the right side of that result next Sunday. I guess, Martin, one benefit for Galway is in years previous where they have had a performance like that, They've been knocked out of the championship. They haven't had a chance to regroup and rebuild. And I know Dublin is probably the toughest task they could have, but at least they do have another opportunity to go out rather than it be the end of their championship. Yeah, I mean, if, if they're not fired up for the Dublin game, well then, what was the whole year about? I do think one issue arises, though, whether um, that, that the semi-finals are a week after the uh, the last round and you have a situation like this in, in, in uh, six days, for instance, in, in the case of Dublin. I mean, I've 
we've discussed this before, but I think just squeezing the season so tight makes no sense whatsoever. Would you have those three games, maybe the three round-robin games, all, all one after the other, and then have a break to the semi-finals? In other words, the reward for getting to the semi-finals was that you had a two-week break. But I think there should be a two-week break anyway. I think it's ridiculous forcing teams out, or players out in, in six and seven days for an all-island semi-final. Like, it's a little bit like the hurling where we had Cork, for instance, who were the only team in the history of the championship uh, ever to be eliminated without losing a game in regulation time. I, I just don't see the logic of it, and I don't see the logic of it here either. Uh, let's see how many county championships finish earlier than, than, than they did last year. I know that's often a slight tangent, but it does impact on teams. Galway lost, lost last weekend. I think there's any team like that. Well, the winner lose should, should have two weeks. And just while we're on a bit of a tangent, you know, you've obviously written a lot about the Super 8 as a concept as a whole. You know, and now that we have finished year one, what have you made of it? I, I guess the games weren't maybe as exciting as people had hoped, but, but what did you... I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of having a round-robin at that stage of, of the competition. I think in most competitions, in all competitions worldwide, it comes to the earlier stages. I'm not a fan, and I know people will say, well, what about the great atmosphere in, in, in Salt Hill? or Killarney or well maybe not in Killarney given the circumstance I suppose but at, at the provincial venues I still think that uh, it should be knockout when you get into, into that into that stage have your round robins earlier and restructure whatever way you want but when you're down to the last eight it should, in my view it should be knockout there should be no dead rubbers at this stage to me it means championship Yeah Roy what, what, what have you, what have you um, what's your thought of it? Well, the first thing I would do um, th- this year, the, the compressing of the season and the giving away of September, we have spoken about it before, but I think as an act of self-harm, it's on parallels. And I think it will only become evident when suddenly the thing finishes, when we've no more hurling after next week. I mean, the, hur- the football would have finished a week earlier only for the papal visit this year. Um, and I think in terms of handing the, the market to competing sports, it's insane. Giving away September, which has been the brand of the finals, that is the first thing. I don't have a problem with the Super 8s. I think there were teething difficulties this year from which um, the GA will learn. I think the provincial winners should be playing against each other in the last match, not the first. Um, the Crow Park issue for the first games definitely needs to be looked at because I think from from Newbridge to, to Ballybofay, um, any time it went out on the road, there was a real sense of occasion and a sense that this could work. Um, Crow Park's a magnificent stadium, but the, real, the reality is it's just too bloody big for most games. And I don't think there's another ground in which you could get 50,000 and the place almost seems empty. I mean, there were more people, there were 10,000 more people in Crow Park on Sunday than there were in Ballybofay. And yet Ballybofay was throbbing and Crow Park was like a mausoleum. So I think that's something that needs to be looked at. But the concept itself, I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter of. But Roy, just, just one point on that. Originally, when the, when the back door was opened back in 2001, the original proposal was for the provincial champions to have home advantage and it was being sold on the basis of games at provincial venues. But then somebody came up with the idea and I think... Actually, I think tomorrow they involved somebody, as far as I remember, I think it was Claire who objected on the basis of because Kerry won so many months of titles that would be at home all the time in the quarter-final. I think that was an issue with at, the, at, the, at the time. But, and they changed it around to go to Croke Park for the quarter-finals. But that was the idea. Provincial champions at home, you still have the provincial venues. And I think you, that, 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 there was also a reward for the provincial winners, which there isn't. I think it will happen next year, Martin. You're seeing more and more the movement towards it. You hear where counties are saying quietly, they're talking to each other. They realise the Croke Park element of it was a major But you still do well, Roy, to avoid a dead rubber along the way in the, in the last game. Well, I, 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 
Sorry, I Tomas. I think one thing, lads. Sorry, I, I I agree with the lads there in terms of you. You're going to have to iron out a few things um, in terms of Crow Park and all that. Um, and I agree with Martin there about about the the week for for say the Dubs are playing in six days rather than um, for a semi final. I think it's ridiculous to ask players after a, after a season that they're after having. But I do think it's a stepping stone to two sixteens or two groups of sixteen or whatever way you're going to look at it without Kilkenny being in a two sixteen and a fifteen or something like that. And I do. Think I do agree with the super eights, but you could have a situation where you have a top 16 and a bottom 16, whatever you're looking at it, and you could have a situation with four groups of four where the top uh, you could play that that league system out before it, and then you'd have four or you'd have quarterfinals where you could run off. Now, uh, the one thing I would fear, I think it's the right way to go. But I do fear that time constraints, I don't think the county championships are going to be, I think you're always going to battle that and it's going to be so hard to get that balance between club and county, right? No matter what it's happening. But I do agree, compare, like Kerry, ironically enough, would probably have got to the semifinals had they gone the old system. I think it was a new system that 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 beat Kerry this year in terms of they had to to play well in three games and they didn't qualify at all at all. They had an easier route. I think that was proven this year. Always had an easier route where they had come out of Munster and probably had to play one game uh, and an easy enough game coming through from a loser from the qualifiers to get through to a semi final. And I think it it actually makes sure that the top teams you have four of the division top four division one sides in the semi finals. And I think that the cream has risen. And I think through the system, the cream will always rise and that's what you want. Um, but I think it's a stepping stone to maybe having a second tier for the so-called, you know, I've heard lads giving interviews in the last few days saying, oh, it's brilliant and, and it's great to see the matches that there have been. And there have been a few dead rubbers. There will be. There will always be a Roscommon there that are getting tanked every time they go out. And that will be there. But I do think in the long run, it's probably a stepping stone to having two tiers um, and they'll hold on to the provincial championship. I don't think they'll get rid of it no matter who disagrees with it. But I think it's a stepping stone. Just moving back to the action then, Martin, obviously Kerry got a pretty handsome win in the end against Kildare, but it wasn't enough to get to the semi-finals with Monaghan's victory and Aon Fismar stepped down after the game. Yeah, what were your thoughts on that? Do you think it was, it was the right decision for him? Well, only Eamon can, can say that. I think what, what was a bit was shocking about it was to, to, to talk about uh, um, a box full of anonymous letters at home, which... I was surprised that he actually had the ball. I would have thought he'd have put them in the fire pretty quickly, and I'm sure he did. But I mean, that's pretty. That is, that's pretty shocking stuff. I mean, that people and they're not coming from outside Kerry, that would be said. So uh, um, it's it's sad to see a county like Kerry, and perhaps you know maybe they just can't uh, that, that they wouldn't give them the time, or, or just wouldn't give the whole setup the time to to to, uh, to um, as I suppose as Tomas was saying in the Independent today, like that. You know, you have to give you have to give them time, and it doesn't matter just because it's Kerry, they're not going to come overnight. And I think in, in this situation, and, and Eamon himself referenced the fact that maybe that they others felt he was there too long, that he was a lightning rod for the problem. But the fact that he was getting the letters were arriving on his, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a sad state of affairs that that uh, that uh, uh, supporters or so-called supporters would uh, would think that that was an appropriate way to behave. I, Jim Gavin's Dublin have sort of rewritten the rules of engagement. I mean. Since Jim Gavin took over, there's only one manager other than Jim Gavin who's won in All-Ireland. That's Eamon Fitzmaurice. There's only one manager other than Jim Gavin who's won a National League. That's Eamon Fitzmaurice. There's only one manager who's beaten Jim Gavin in a head-to-head in the National Final. That's Eamon Fitzmaurice. I mean, the notion that the guy was receiving those sort of that sort of correspondence is appalling. I know Tomas will know well that Paddy once had famously had a go at, uh, at, Kerry, at Kerry people. Now, I'd be absolutely with Eamon when he said that the vast majority... Are, are fine people 
and I'm a big fan and supporter of Kerry football, but Eamon Fitzmaurice, both as a player and as a manager, has been utterly selfless in his approach. And if it's come to that, that he feels he has to leave because of the noise around him, um, you'd be concerned. Um, Jack O'Connor, Peter Keane, whoever comes in, will they be subject to the same sort of thing? Because the team needs time. There's an enormous amount of talent there. I mean, we've seen what David Clifford did in his first year. He scored 4-13 from play in Super 8. I mean, that's off the charts. Um, but I think Fitzmaurice, um, perhaps what he achieved, even if I think it was right for him to go at this stage, if he had gone stale, I think what he has achieved will only become apparent as, as the days pass. There were plenty of people who wanted to get to Mikko Dwyer 40 years ago after <laughs> 1977, and we know what happened after that. Alex Ferguson, I think, underwent something <laughs> similar before he won a first trophy. Yeah, Tomas, what were your thoughts on, on about Eamon's decision to step down and also the, uh, you know, what he, when he revealed that he had been getting such nasty letters? Uh, well, look, it, the nasty letters doesn't surprise me. I, I, I remember my first uh, ever game for Kerry was in 1998 against Cork. And I Kerry won that match, actually. Kerry were, were just uh, defending their All-Ireland Championship and I started off cornerback and I... I Made my debut. I was a young fella, and I remember coming down. This we walked from the stadium down to the to the middle of the town after, and I got abused by by a fella not too far away from me actually, and a guy would would hardly darken a door, but abused me for a good twenty thirty seconds walking down the street, and there was a fella beside me telling me not to react or whatever because there was hundreds of people around or whatever, and that's what you're putting up with. And uh, I, I, you know, Roy has mentioned it there. It's not these aren't the the, the diehards. The, the the lads that were I watched. I was over to match the last day, and and there was a couple couple of thousand people out in the field afterwards and they're the fans there are Kerry fans and you're talking over 95% of them are their heart in their right place and they're good people and they're genuine people but Body was absolutely dead right in what he said and, and Body was getting abused at that stage but you see you have a platform now where, where every idiot has a voice and they can they can spit poison on on social media, and they can go on these um, forums, and they can personally attack somebody. And I know for a fact that players were getting letters, and that selectors were getting letters as well as Eamon Fitzmaurice. And it's it's just absolute poisonous, like you know. And I do agree. And it's not that oh no, that Eamon is gone that we all kind of back in behind him and now and back into the hills. There were a lot of mistakes made, and I was kind of I was really I suppose disappointed that we weren't a, a hard team to score against and you always work with what you have and if you don't have the the, the say the, the Monaghan's where you're praising that they have men inside to go man on man and they can man up inside there if you don't have that you have to cut your claw to suit and I don't think we actually achieve that as much however on the other side of that I mean in 2014 when when Kerry won in All-Ireland um, and they won it tactically. Let's not mistake that we we won that All Ireland tactically, and Fitzmaurice got his tactics right against a, a Donegal outfit that were were on song that last couple of years before it. And you know he got due credit at the time. I do remember that he got due credit. But that I mean they say years a long time. Jesus, after getting sliced and diced since then. Um, and you know I I think in the county you have to realise he's proven he has proven with, with Field Rangers he was he was uh, key in them winning a county championship. He won uh, Ireland's with with Pobble Skull. Uh, he coached at under twenty one level. He was a selector at at he's the most qualified fella still inside in the county to manage Kerry. Now there will always be decisions. There will be substitutions and look. I mean, I looked at, even off the top of my head, I remember in, with Jack O'Connor in 2009, we played Cork, and we won that game, no problem at all. I thought it was absolute lunacy taking um, Ty Kennelly off. Ty Kennelly was running Graham County. Like, those kind of decisions are being made all the time. Now, there'd be maybe four or five 
baffling decisions that Fitzmaurice, but he has tried players from start to finish. He has tried so many different players. And I think this year, the young lads, he, he gave them their run this year. Um, and I think they were outstanding. But I think Kerry just didn't have the players to do what they wanted to do. I think that he had a, a, a plan that he wanted to play. He wanted to play straight, direct football. But certain players this year didn't play to the to the to the performance levels required to carry out those games against certain, certain better teams and that's the reality of it and you're not going to try to be naming out players here but look a lot of players didn't step up when needed and it's obvious that the likes of Clifford and all that did it, it, it's just disappointing the way it came out I think uh, Eamon had decided that he was going to walk anyway but I think it was disappointing that he was he was sour about it in the end and I suppose we only found out about it afterwards but the pressure he must have been under and the, the, the old correspondence he was getting in the post throughout the championship and I'd say it wasn't anything new this year there was a lot of fellas you know, I, I don't think he got um, the kudos he deserved when he walked away. He was a—I roomed with him when he was a um, when he was a player. I played with him as minor. I played with him senior. He was one of the most honest fellas, uh, a fella that had stepped out of playing and went straight in as a selector. When managing under twenty ones, came managing Kerry, given his life, and he's forty two. He has played with them since he's eighteen. The man was Kerry, nothing like. And I, I there was a, a comment I saw where that he underachieved with the players he had. I think he actually overachieved with the players he had because he came on the scene when the likes of us left, Declan Sullivan, Gooch, Galvin, Mahoney, Tom Sullivan, Murphy, like the, the whole team left. And he took it over when that had left and now he's after leaving a team. And I'm delighted that they actually, there isn't too many managers that have played and won in All-Ireland and managed an All-Ireland winning team. And he has passed on the baton to those young lads and those young lads will know what it's like to wear a Kerry jersey and what it's like and how important it is to carry yourself as a Kerry man. And he is the guy that, that I'm delighted they got a year out of him I, because I know for a fact that they have unbelievable time. There was rumours going around that he'd lost the dress you might say nothing could be farther from the truth. Like They'd, they'd go under a train for him and it's just a pity that they, they... You know, like, I saw the second half and I said, God, you saw Jack Barry kicking one two. You saw James, I don't know who, buzzing. And I said to myself, Jez, that's where were you all championship like? Do you know, I think the Galway game cost them big time. And they admitted it themselves afterwards they didn't perform in the day. But, you know, it was only um, the, the, the performances and ifs, if they could do this and that, they were just too few and too far between for me. Like, And you just didn't have the team to consistently bang in the performances. And I, I think, look, I think he did well with what he had. Mistakes made, yes, but... Overall, I think he did well with what he had. I, I think it's very interesting. Tomas talks about um, his performances being and his record being uh, underappreciated. If you compare, um, Jim McGuinness won one All-Ireland. I know it was with Donegal, a county had only won one previously. Um, Fitzmaurice won one All-Ireland, won one Division One National League title, which is actually which is more than, than Jim did in Donegal. As Tomas references... He, he was losing six or seven Hall of Fame players and any manager having to deal with that. But where Jim McGuinness is afforded messianic status by a lot of people, I heard rather comically one, um, uh, one radio show recently describing him as the most influential manager in, uh, in GA history, um, which I sniggered for a little while about. But Fitzmaurice has actually, in, in material terms, Fitzmaurice has won more A-lists um, national titles and I think that's that's worth worth remembering and Martin what do you think is the top of the list for the next manager to come in and, and to do given that they do have talent there but this year was so disappointing what, what would you identify maybe as the thing that the first the manager needs to get right first 
Well, the, the first thing he needs, he needs to, he needs to be, it's, it's what he needs to be given, is, is that he needs to be given time. And, and I mean, Evan said that. I mean, look, at they won four All-Ireland minor titles in a row. Now, there's no guarantee that all of those, obviously quite a few of them will come through. But there's no guarantee that, that none of them will, that there's as many will as perhaps people think. I mean, Cork dominated Munster under 21 there for about five or six years and between 08 and whatever it was, 014, around that time. Look at where they are, you know. So there's no guarantee, but they've just got to be given time to, to to build and work. And I mean, we all know that the, given the Kerry tradition and the Kerry the Kerry football, it will it will be back. It will. It's not exactly gone anywhere. They won six in a row in Munster. He's just got to be given time to build. And if and he probably will. You see, this is the point. Now I think Eamon Fitzmaurice has cleared that pitch for him, if you like. And he said that before he left that whoever comes in, I hope that when he loses a few matches next March, that they won't be onto him. And he's well, they probably won't. So let him at it. Let him bring these young fellas through. Let him see what he has there and. Uh, and and take it from there because there's nothing else they can do and that's what uh, the new man will do but he's he's coming in actually in a, in, a, in a good position with a lot of young talents coming through but at the same time uh, he won't have the emphasis more he wanted that pressure because uh, he, he was there so long perhaps that people were saying I will st-. The, the usual thing ah, he's there a long time for maybe somebody else will be better that, the new man won't have that for, for a year or two anyway and it'll be interesting to also see who the new man is you know Peter Keane Jack O'Connor Pat O'Shea have been some of the names that have been I guess suggested who would you like to see take over? Um, look, I, I, I think it's it's key to get the right guy in, but I think it's key to get the right team around him as well. Um, you know, a lot of guys who come into management nowadays, they bring their own team with them. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go either. You know, you get a group that will work in one direction to bring the team along. And, and I think they need to get this appointment right. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the usual guys, the suspects will be Peter Keane, obviously, because he's done so well with the minors. He's worked with the minors. Tommy Griffin is with him. Um, and, you know, I, I'd love to see somebody like Minahan get involved. I'd love to see Declan Sullivan get involved. I'd love to see, uh, you know, Morris Fitz, not just because they're iconic, but they're, they're they're actually coaching at club level in Kerry at the moment and doing quite well at club level in, in, at the moment. You need guys who know it. But I think overall as well, I think which is key, geez, there's a Donny Buckley free at the moment. And to be fair, he made Mayo fairly competitive with his brief of one to nine. And I think that's an area where Kerry have been lacking. And I, I think, geez, you should make hay while it's there. I, I think that guy should be involved in it. With Tommaso, but, um, with Tommaso Shea moment, being interested. With Tommaso Shea being interested. What about too, some role I'm or other too Tomas? busy talking and <laughs> I'm too busy making money, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and the golf and the cock lads. I'm going for the cock lads. <laughs> <laughs> from no, what I hear, you could be playing centre-back for them next year. <laughs> Peter Keane, I think, would probably be, be first manning and Jack would have to be considered as well. But look, Whatever it is, it's a tough, it's a tough number to get, um, and I do think, in fairness to Fitzmaurice, in the years ahead, and um, Martin just said it there, in the years ahead, it will be seen that that he did clear the way, and that I think he he actually focused people on actually acknowledging that this team does need time to bet in. You're not going to win like what David Clifford has done. There has been nothing short of of unbelievable, like with a team that was struggling against the likes of of Monaghan, the likes of Galway, and he banging in the scores that he's banged in. Like, the only other player that I've seen doing, coming out of minor and being so dominant was Seamus Minan. And I would even put Clifford with his performances above that of what Minan actually produced. Now, he'd be going brilliant if he can do half of what Minan did afterwards. But, like, what was disappointing in Clarny was, here we had Clifford uh, giving an exhibition inside. And, you know, I was watching that stuff in the hurling last night and fellas when they say they used to go to watch Christy Ring and all that. And I know Clifford is very, very young. 
But you had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Kerry supporters leaving with 10, 15 minutes to go, and this fellow in his pomp inside. Like, and, you know, I think it's. I think Kerry supporters would want to look at themselves after this. For, um, you know, after this whole situation, like certain Kerry supporters, and look, Kerry supporters take it on the chin as well. I'm talking to a certain majority of them. Um, because look, whoever Kerry get, I think Peter Keane would be a good choice, to be quite honest with you. I think he'd be well able to handle the media. He's, he's, I think that's important as well because there's always, you know, you see how good Jim Gavin is and how, how look, he doesn't give much away. But I do think it's important. I think Fitzmaurice was brilliant at it. Brilliant at it. The way he, he handled cer- certain situations um, was, was the Sullivan situation with the drugs and all that crack. You know, he was brilliant with it and he was honest and he was straight. Um, and I think he'll be missed in that regard as well. But look, there's a, there's the look. I wouldn't be feeling too sorry for Kerry either, lads. They've plenty of talent. They've plenty of fellas to step up to the situation. They've plenty of guys. I would love to see lads from that successful uh, Naughties team being involved because I think they can give you something as well that other people can't. And I think that you can get a very, very good mix in there to bring them on to the next step, certainly, yeah. And Martin, just to finish up on, on the other group as well, Tyrone with, with a very impressive second-half performance to beat Donegal. Donegal leading by four with about 20 minutes left, but then the Tyrone bench, I think, contributed 2-5 in the closing stages. And they look like a bit like Monaghan, and they're playing next weekend. They're both hitting form at the right time. Uh, they are, yeah. And, I mean, Tyrone, after what happened in the last year's semi-final, I mean, this is a great opportunity for them. I mean, Mickey Hart was saying after they lost last year, we're not that far away, and everybody said, "Well, yeah, if you, if you say so, Mickey." Even though uh, after that Dublin game, but there's every chance of being the All Ireland final now. They're favourites, and you, you you just feel that they 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 just might have something. I certainly feel they will have just something too much for Monaghan, even though Monaghan are playing very well. But Tyrone are, are dogged. They know to grind results out in Crow Park against uh, certainly they've done it what twice against Monaghan in the past. So I think it'll be, I think they'll make it to, into the final. And Donegal will be very disappointed having taken that four-point lead, you know, the goal right before half-time. They were at home. They hadn't lost in Bally before in the championship in almost 10 years. And then, I guess, was it the bench impact, you think, Roy, in the end? That the I think, undoubtedly, it's it's been a trend for Tyrone this year. I mean, you talked about the 2-5. They outscored them 2 two points after the 54th minute. Um, Mickey Hart actually spoke afterwards about something Jim Gavin has talked about before, about finishing with your strongest team. When opponents are getting tired, really going for it. I actually spoke to Jim Gavin a long time and he talked about there's in basketball, which has an increasing influence on the way coaches think here, there's an NBA sixth man award, which goes to the guy who comes off the bench and makes a huge contribution. Obviously, Dublin have used Kevin McManaman, Cormac Costello in those roles. Um, and you see it with Tyrone now. To be able to bring guys on, I think Colm Key's detailed stuff in the Indo today about that goal at the end. It was five subs playing a role in it. Um, and the game at that pace, if you can bring on, it's it's now you hear rugby talking about it, a 20 or a, a 20 man game. And, and football has, has definitely become that. And I think that's where they might have a slight edge on, on Monaghan this weekend. You said there, Roy, by the way, that the impact of basketball on the on the modern thing. I know you're going to talk about basketball the on the game as well, perhaps, and on during the, uh, not, ju- not just on the tactics, but that's a different <laughs> an argument for another time. Just want to get your thoughts. I know Dublin Ross Cowan probably wasn't the most riveting game given it was a dead rubber, but the return of Bernard Brogan was a great moment. He got a lovely reception. You know, It's remarkable. Now, it remains to be seen, I guess, how much of a party he could play, really, but even to be on the field in any capacity is remarkable. I, I, I spoke to about a month ago and what really took me was his his attitude here's a guy who's done it all has his five all irelands mid-30s and just become a father of twins and he was so focused and so driven and would not hear all he kept saying is i'm going to push it 
to force Jim to make a decision, to get myself in the position where Jim has to think about me. Um, he got on in a situation, as you say, it was it was a sort of a, a B-list Dublin forward line. And I mean, it also, in a, in a listless game, we were talking about Galway not being able to rise in a dead game. Dublin scored 4.24, 4.17 from play. Paul Flynn, Ono Gara, Cormac Costello and Kevin McManaman, four guys who've been who've been bench warmers this, this uh, year, scored 3.17, 3.12 from play. Um, so Bernard is still, I think, down the line, but still in a, in a time of crisis, it, it, it's nice to know that there's the potential at least to play him. And I think enormous kudos. It's less than six months after doing your cruciate to be back playing in an All-Ireland quarterfinal effectively. Magnificent. And Tomas, just to give you the last word here, looking ahead to the semi-finals next weekend, you know, are Tyrone, do you think, the best place to come out of that game against Monaghan? Um, yeah, I think, look, it's going to be really interesting. I think Monaghan, I, I think you have to admire Mickey Hart. I think at the weekend, like, every top team at the moment are pushing up on opposition kickouts, and I don't think they will. I think they'll give Began the kickout. Uh, one thing about Tyrone that I don't like is they don't engage in the tackling until maybe it comes inside around their own 45-yard line. And I think that's risky at times. But um, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. You see, uh, all the Monaghan had a brilliant performance last week and they needed it. And they're going to have to pull off another one. And there's history between Tyrone and Monaghan. And Monaghan are after topping Tyrone already this season. And I think it'll be difficult for them to do it again. I think um, Tyrone are just, uh, they remind me, oh, oh, it's like Ali and Fraser. They'll stay on the ropes and then they'll go for the juggler the last the last um, 10, 15 minutes, you know. And it, it's, it's a serious bench. Brennan and McGeary are absolutely outstanding. They're, just when you're tiring, to have those two come in and as a defender to face up with the jinkiness, the ever, never-ending running. I was just watching uh, Brennan off-camera. like He wasn't even on the ball, but the runs he was making, he was an absolute, and he still got on the end of it. Um, it's going to be fascinating. Look, the, the physicality is going to be there. There's going to be no doubt about that. I think if Tyrone can stick with them. I think Donegal lost that game in a way that when they were on top in that first 40 minutes, they didn't tag on five or six more scores that they should have. And I think um, if you're going to hurt Tyrone, you have to do it in the first 45, 50 minutes, I think. You know, you have to be well on top and be ready for the onslaught. Have a plan for that bench coming off. And it's easier said than done. For years, we tried it. We tried it with McManaman. We knew he was going to come off the bench. We knew he was going to come in for the last 15, 20 minutes. And yet we failed every time because, look, within the rules, geez, if we had it back over, we'd, we'd take a chainsaw to him. But we, we, we just didn't. You know, it, it's, it's hard to, to, you can prepare all you like. But if there's momentum against you, it's very hard to stop it. And I think that's what Tyrone have had in the last few games. I think uh, Don Lee stepped up. I think Hart stepped up. Um, Colm Cavanagh was outstanding. So it, it's like the, the game at the start of the season is going to be totally different. The two teams are in different places. And I just think, I have a feeling that Tyrone will just have too much for them. Great stuff, Tomas. Thanks so much for joining us. No bother, lads. So we'll turn our talk to Hurling now, Martin. You were in Semple Stadium for another cracking hurling game on Sunday Galway versus Clare Galway just about held on but I think a lot of people have the feeling that Clare will be kicking themselves to, to have let this one go missing some very key chances in the last couple of minutes what, what were your overall thoughts? Yeah well they missed uh, they missed a few chances from long range wide and then of course there was the Aaron Shanahan goal and, and you sort of felt it was almost the same pitch the exact opposite of what happened when Jake Morris hit the post and uh, changed Tipperary's and indeed Clare's season this definitely changed. The, uh, they would have won, I think, if, if he had got that goal. So 
they will feel they will definitely and understandably feel that it's one that let slip away. But uh, at the same time, Galway would feel that well, we should have we should have sewn this game up before half time, which didn't score from after the twentieth minute. Scored one nine up to then, managed another eight points. So um, both sides will feel that there was there was more, there were more in them, and of course it doesn't matter to Galway now because they're in the final, where Clare have to uh, uh, wait until next year. But uh, it was that it was it was the margins were that fine, and whoever wins and whoever loses, the, the margins are that fine, as they were in so many of the hurling games this year. So you can't say there's any there's, the, the days are gone when there was anybody's out a long way in front, and even for instance Tipperary and Waterford who didn't even make the didn't even make the cut. If either of them had got through, they could still be there now. And I know that's the if, 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 but it's a fact of life and there's no doubt about that. And last Sunday was the latest example of that and that's just the way the championship is this year. Yeah, we're joined the line by James e. O'Connor as well. And I guess the word if will be featuring a lot for Clare. They had so many chances late on, uh, James e. Like, what, what, what was your read on, on, on the defeat? It was very tough to take from a Clare perspective. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it'll probably haunt the players for, for a long, long time to come because, you know, if there's any day you shoot 19 wides, um, you know, you you must just particularly have, have chances laid on and, and hit the post with two minutes left and lose by a point. You know, you're you're going to be scratching your head and, and, and wondering how we or why we didn't win it. But I suppose from the start, I was a bit disappointed that we, we started with the sweeper because I felt we, we handed the initiative to Galway. Um, and certainly the first half was was played on their terms. Um, you know, and, and as Martin said, like we, we probably should have been further behind at the uh, at the break. I mean, with some killer wides in that first half that you know, would have maybe had his, um, you know, with less to do in the second half. But I think the, the team, again, as it didn't grow up back the previous weekend, showed huge courage and resilience, you know, to, to keep ploughing on, to keep trying to do the right things. And I suppose Shane O'Donnell was instrumental in that in, in terms of bringing us back into the game with that goal. And, and then Peter Duggan second. So, bitterly disappointed. But the feeling in Clare, I mean, I think was that the lads gave us a great summer. They left everything they had on, on the pitch on both days. And I suppose, as Martin said, the margins are so small now that, you know, it could, could be us instead of Galway looking ahead to a to an Ireland final. I suppose credit to Galway too though because, you know, questions about their desire or, you know, had they the, the energy levels and every time Clare came back at them, you know, they, they, they got a response or summoned a response um, and Joe Kenny, I think in particular, you know, you know, hats off to him because he showed real energy, I thought, and drive in that second half when, when a lot of the Galway lads seemed to be, seemed to be faltering. So, um, you know, Galway will feel that, listen, they, they weren't at their best and they certainly have to be better in the final speed limit but semi-finals are for winning and the key thing for them is they're there and, as I said in Clare, very, very proud of the lads and, and, and you know, the management team and the turning conditioning team and, and, and everybody involved. But as I said, bitterly, bitterly, bitterly disappointing to come up short. Roy, uh, James, you mentioned Joe Canning there. And I think the, obviously the key moment after Aaron Shannon hit the post, they go down the field and Joe sweeps over a magnificent sideline cut. It's just when you need your big players to step up, he always delivers. Look, if, if this has been a poetic hurling summer, Joe has been the laureate. I mean, some of the stanzas he's he's delivered all through the campaign have been have been extraordinary. I almost think he's liberated by winning the All-Ireland last year. But that was sort of a sword hanging about him. And his leadership, he scored five of the last eight points. This from a guy who we were wondering if he was going to be fit to play. He was hobbling about afterwards. Um, since the inception of both the, the Texaco and All-Star Hurlers of the Year, no one has won back-to-back um, but Joe is in the box seat now. If he produces as he has done consistently over the last month um, and does what he did to Clare to Limerick, he's going to be hurler of the year again. Uh, I just think 
He's, he's terrific to watch. He's had to answer a lot of critics. We talked about the Kerry footballers earlier. Um, it was sometimes wondered, was, was Joe an individual player? Was he, was he a guy who could lead a team to the promised land? He has answered all those questions. And in the prime of his career, he's doing something magical at the moment. Martin, I know you like to kind of follow me- people's comments in the media and maybe pick holes in them if, they, if, they, if their logic isn't very sturdy. I, I, I saw Joe talk after yesterday's game with interest saying that people had written off the team's character and questioning the character thinking who's been saying this Galway have gotten lots of praise all the time I don't know what's the answer to that and and he, he doesn't always sort of stop for, for the uh, after games to, to meet the media anymore and and he stopped and made a point of it this time, so I don't know who he was aiming at, and I'd love to know. I mean, that that actually was was the key question: who it was, and uh, perhaps we'll get it out on later in the year. But uh, certainly, something had, had rattled his cage, or whatever it was. I don't know because I can't see any any. The, the, I couldn't see any criticism anywhere of uh, of of. Nothing. Of, I think teams search for a chip on their shoulder now, Martin. To as an extra to try and find that extra yard, the the chip on the shoulder seems to be something that's you have to have now, even if there's absolutely no. I mean, people spent the week marveling at the greatest hurling 24 hours in history. And I don't think anybody had a go at anybody involved. I, I, I certainly can't, I, I don't think there was, certainly there, there have been other years, and as you said earlier, Joe has got come in for unfair criticism over the years, and indeed perhaps Galway at times as well, but not this year. And I, I just don't know where that came from, but maybe he's trying to uh, build up sort of some siege mentality, of the real or imaginary. And well, James, the one area I guess you could possibly criticise Galway is in the last three games they've built really big leads and been playing some great hurling. And, and in all three games, they've kind of gone into a bit of a lull and allowed the opposition to come back. Why Why do you think, or from watching the games, do, why do you think they have been unable to, to maintain that kind of momentum? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, again, that's something that messes this me all down who perplexed. Um, in terms of Joe, I mean, I, I think he's actually had a fitful enough season. I mean, you know, okay, we've seen flashes of, of brilliance, um, you know, but I mean, apart from... You know, last weekend, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought his performance levels were, were for example, akin to those of Park Manion, who I think has been consistently excellent for them. Um, but I think, I think it's that Michal who probably was using or looking for anything he could find to try to, you know, create that siege mentality in, in, in the Galway camp. And, I mean, Joe certainly alluded to the fact that Clare had, you know, I suppose five, five, there were five key Galway players I suppose, absent in, you know, in, in extra time in Croke Park and, and Clare couldn't beat them. And, um, you know, but certainly I, I couldn't understand those comments. And I assume that the management has just tried to create from somewhere that uh, that siege mentality. Why are they, why are they, um, you know, going these long periods where they're letting that teams back into it? I'm not so sure. Uh, I, I think, like, there's certainly a lot of Galway players that are that, that, that are struggling for form. I mean, Conor Cooney, for example, is one who hasn't, you know, um, regained the form that, that he showed last year. Niall Burke, again, has, has been in and out of games. Conor Whelan, Again, has been has been largely good, but starved of possession at times. As has Cahill Mannion. Um, but at the same time, you know, Clare never led, um, or led for you know, I suppose a minute maybe of the, you know, the, the 170 or whatever whatever length of time was was played. And I just I just was really impressed with that aspect of Galway. That every time Clare drew level or or looked like they were going to forge ahead, Galway were always able to come back down the field and get a score. And you know, I think David Burke and Johnny Cohen have been. Better um, certainly than they were in the in, in the Leinster final. I think that's given them a good a good platform. And as I said, the defence, you know, Dahi has been pretty much rock solid at fullback. Two he's played well. Park Manon has been absolutely outstanding. And you know, they're probably going to need to get Garob McInerney back for the final. But Joseph Cooney has given them another option back there, considering you know how how, how well he played on uh, at, at, at the weekend. But it's it's a, a good position to be in for for Michal Dunne and the Galway and the Galway backroom team because. They're there, which is the key point, but there are certainly areas that they're going to have to improve on because I think deep down, Galway, we know that Limerick are going to bring massive energy to this. 
and uh, you know they're going to have to be better to win the to win the final. And so that's a good place to be in two weeks out. It's interesting that James he mentions Groback and Ernie Roy because that was another kind of a bit of a charade before the game when he was named to play, you know, out in his number six jersey. But it didn't look like there was a chance in hell that he was actually going to take the field. Well, when he done a calf injury, doesn't doesn't repair itself in a week, and I think that was never never going to happen. But in fairness, Cooney went back. Mannion moved in. Uh, James he talks about Mannion. I agree, he's been absolutely sensational this year. Um, I think it's interesting again about Galway against Limerick and we, we've talked all year about Galway and the, the way they can score from distance. Um, I thought Conor Whelan was really, really good for them on, on Sunday at times when they required. Um, I, I take what uh, Jamesy is saying about, about Joe's fitful summer, but in the games that have mattered, i.e. the last two weeks, he has just risen up. There were moments against Kilkenny when he got, when they needed scores, when, when he got a couple of great scores. Um, but it's, is it not set up just for the most fantastic final? You've a you've a team coming with huge momentum, and you've a proven champion against them. Um, I can't wait for it. Yeah, James, I know you're tight for time, so I'll just let you go after one last question. Uh, you know, we are set up for a mouth-watering final now. You know, Galway are, are still the bookies' favourites, but Limerick are coming on, on a real surge at the moment. Uh, how do you see it going? Yeah, well, uh, the, the advantage Galway have is that you know most of their players have, have certainly been there in two finals, um, if not three, four, and some of them this will be their fifth. Um, and in terms of you know what goes with the occasion, the tickets, the the, the banquet, all the the stuff, the media commitments, um, you know, Galway certainly have an advantage in in, in having been there. Um, Limerick, I, I think you know Paul Kinnerk is a very very smart guy in the Limerick background team, and the fact again that he's been there with Clare. Um, and one, I think, is a big fillip to them as well. And the two games now, you can be sure that Limerick will have analysed Galway. They've, they've more footage now than ever, you know, to see, OK, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses, what are guys' tendencies, what side do they shoot from? And Limerick will have their home up done and be really, really well prepared. But I still think that Johnny Glynn on the edge of the square, you know, do Limerick have someone capable of handling uh, handling him? And, and, you know, have they got the guys in the full back line? I know they've, they've, they've got tenacious guys, they've got guys that are, they're good on the ground, but whether they can deal with, for example, the aerial threat that could be there if they stick in, and for example, Joe in there early on, um, that would be a concern for me. I think that's a 50-50 game. As so many of these games have been all, all summer, and Clare have proven that, listen, this gap that might have existed in our minds between Gov and the rest of the pack simply doesn't uh, do, do, doesn't exist. And, you know, they'll have to play well to uh, to win, but, you know, the feeling is, I think, that David Burke, Kenning, you know, these guys have a lot of hurling played. And if, if these guys were to finish with just a one-hour Ireland, I think they'd feel that underachieved. And to me, I think Galway will will still have enough um, to do it. And I, I'd imagine that Glim would be a very, very central part of that. Great stuff, Jamesy. Thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, well. Cheers, guys. That's all we have time for in the throwing this week. Thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with another podcast looking back on the All-Ireland Football semi-finals. In the meantime, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening, and goodbye.